Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Ross Green, welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. Once again, that's 646 646- 727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hi there. Uh, coming to you live today from Kittery, Maine, where I've spent uh, most of the day helping uh, some elementary school teachers uh, learn about and uh, see what collaborative problem solving looks like. Um, might talk about that a little bit later in the day in the program. Um, boy, they had some winds blow through here uh, last Thursday night. Apparently, 90-mile-an-hour uh, winds uh, at their strongest, and a lot of folks uh, in these parts uh, haven't had any power until this morning, including this particular school that I'm sitting in right now. But um, the lights are on. And uh, there was school today, and uh, people are trying to pick up the pieces. Um, let's see if we can pick up some pieces for some challenging kids. The uh, planned topic of today's program is, as it says in the description, the much-neglected but really important invitation step of Plan B uh, once again. Uh, that plan could be altered if we get some callers, some don't have anybody planned for today, so we'll see if we uh, get some callers. But uh, those are always our top priority because, as always, these are your 45 minutes. So, as always, if you're working with a student who's not responding very well to Plan B, if you're running into trouble with any of the aspects of doing Plan B, the hard parts, drilling for information in the empathy step, um, thinking of uh, solutions uh, that are realistic and mutually satisfactory uh, in the brainstorming ingredient. Um, this is your time. If you're having trouble running, uh, using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, if you're having trouble getting your colleagues at school to buy in, this is your opportunity to call in, comment, ask questions, get the support you need, or just listen to what's going on with others who are using the collaborative problem-solving approach. Once again, if you do want to call in, that number is 646-727-2691, 646-727-2691. As always, if you're hesitant to call in, you can always send me a question electronically through the contact form in the Lives in the Balance, on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. Um, so, uh, many people we're on vacation in one of the last two weeks, so some folks are just getting back into the swing of things. Um, something that's uh, come up in some of my conversations recently is, you know, here it is March 1st, and if you're in a school that's just beginning to do collaborative problem solving, then, boy, those unsolved problems in your classroom have piled up 
over the course of the school year. And now it's March 1st, and that big old pile of unsolved problems is uh, could feel rather overwhelming. Uh, it's still going to be one kid and one problem at a time. That's really the only way to make a dent. But I wonder how many problems we would have solved if we'd uh, started at the beginning of the school year uh, solving problems, um, drilling for information in the empathy step so we really understand what's getting in a kid's way on a particular unsolved problem. We really understand it well. One of the things that's come up lately is a lot of teachers have said to me, I'd love to be doing this. I really see the wisdom in understanding what's getting in a kid's way on a particular unsolved problem. Otherwise, we just deal with the surface and the unsolved problem never gets solved. Exactly right. And unsolved problems pile up. Uh, unsolved problems for a challenging kid pile up. Unsolved problems in a classroom pile up. And the bigger the pile gets, the more overwhelming the cumulative, the accumulated unsolved problems feel. But then always comes the question, um, this is not realistic. Actually, that's a statement. Then comes the question, this is not realistic in a school classroom. When am I going to do this? And my pat answer these days is 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day carved out in your classroom for problem-solving time. 15 minutes that we've prioritized to put time into plan B. Because as I always say, plan B only saves time if you put the time into plan B. If you put the time into plan B, it's going to save you time because nothing saves time like understanding what's getting in a kid's way really well on a particular unsolved problem, uh, making sure he's clear about what your concern is and solving the problem together in a way that's realistic, mutually satisfactory, and durable. Ultimately, that saves time, but only if you put the time in. By this time of year, some stories I've heard recently, people who've got seven or eight challenging kids in their classroom, you know, classrooms that have 18, 20, 25 kids in it, those challenging kids and their unsolved problems have piled up. If we put 15 minutes into collaborative problem solving every day, and yes, the kids do know, that's what we're doing. It's problem-solving time. And every day, the classroom teacher is going to meet with a kid who has a problem that needs to be solved. And um, the kids know that. And uh, they're not in trouble. You're not mad at them. It's problem-solving time. then you're really making some headway because then for 15 minutes a day, five days a week, you've devoted yourself to reducing challenging behavior in your classroom by solving the problems that are coming up in your classroom. Do that over the course of a school year. Really prioritize those 15 minutes. Don't let it slip. 15 minutes a day, problem-solving time. Where do you see how many unsolved problems get solved over the course of the school year? Now, by March 1st, do you still have unsolved problems left over? Of course, there's always unsolved problems left over. Can't escape unsolved problems. They are never-ending. 
but that pile isn't anywhere nearly as big as it would be if we weren't doing all that in the first place. Another question has come up, should, is it, uh, should, should the kids know about this? Of course. Aren't the kids going to act up just so they can get problem-solving time with the teacher? No, not if they know that if they've got an unsolved problem, they can come to you and ask to talk about it. Why would they act up if they know that they have simply need to come to you to let you know that there's a problem they'd like to talk with you about during that 15 minutes a day of problem-solving time? A lot of classroom teachers have said to me, I can find 15 minutes. I can carve that out. Some have said, you got to be kidding me, 15 minutes? Hmm. What a shame. We can't find 15 minutes to prioritize unsolved problems, whether it's a behaviorally challenging kid or a not-so-behaviorally challenging kid. 15 minutes a day? If you're truly having trouble finding 15 minutes a day, number one, you'd probably be the first to agree that that's a shame. But number two, you may need help from your principal or assistant principal finding that 15 minutes a day. And truth is, if your school is taking this on as a building, then the truth is the fact that we don't have 15 minutes a day to solve problems with kids in our classroom is an unsolved problem for the school and for all the staff in the school that's an unsolved problem. Maybe we ought to put our heads together and solve that problem collaboratively. 15 minutes a day. Problem-solving time. All right, I've already deviated from what I was supposed to be talking about today. Can you believe it? And we haven't, we haven't had a caller. Uh, but now let's turn our attention to what I said we were going to talk about today. The invitation step of plan B. So let me set the stage for this. And, and those of you who have heard me speak lately know that I don't even like the name invitation step anymore, but we'll get to that. Collaborative problem solving, as you know, consists of three ingredients, three steps, but each step having an ingredient. The first step, the empathy step. The second step, the define the problem step. The third step, the invitation. But really the first ingredient is information gathering and understanding gathering information about and understanding the kids' concern or perspective on the high-priority unsolved problem you're trying to talk with them about right now proactively. Second ingredient, it's called the define the problem step. The ingredient is the adult getting their concern or perspective on the table. Third ingredient, brainstorming. It's called the invitation, but it's really brainstorming brainstorming solutions that will solve the problem. The problem, of course, meaning the concerns of both parties. That's the problem. So let's say we've done a good job of getting the kids' concern on the table. And let's say, just to use a recent example, he's calling other kids' names we'll pretend this is an elementary school kid. He's calling other kids' names, and in the empathy step, we learn that that's be he only does that when he feels mad or sad. When might he feel mad if someone kicks him? When might he feel sad uh, if somebody steps on his foot? And what 
inappropriate language is he using? This would be mild, of course, but this is a recent example. The word stupid. So you're using the word stupid when somebody makes you mad or sad. Yes. Some kids use the word stupid because they think it's funny. Well, not me. Got it. The kid's concern is now on the table, and of course it took a lot longer than the 30 seconds that I just took putting it on the table. It takes five or ten minutes sometimes. That's why we're setting aside 15 minutes a day for problem-solving time. Let's say the teacher's concern is that calling kids stupid hurts their feelings. Now we're ready for the invitation. And now, finally, at long last, we're ready to start talking about the invitation. The goal of the invitation is to brainstorm solutions that will address the concerns of both parties. It's crucial when you're doing the invitation to let the kid know you are as invested in getting his concern addressed as you are in getting your own concern addressed. As I've as I say frequently, the minute he realizes that, you've got yourself a problem-solving partner, a problem-solving buddy. This isn't adversarial. This isn't enemies. This is two people, kid and adult, putting their heads together to try to come up with a solution to a problem that's been getting in the way and causing challenging behavior for a very long time. Kids are a lot less likely to talk with you if they think you're mad at them and a lot less likely to talk to you if they think they're in trouble. When you're doing collaborative problem solving, you're not mad and the kid's not in trouble. You're gathering information so that you truly understand. You're getting your concern on the table as well. And then you are inviting the kid to solve the problem with you. And these days I've been recommending that people recap the two concerns so as to summarize the problem that needs to be solved. Usually starting with the words, I wonder if there's a way. Now generically, what are you wondering if there's a way to do? Generically, you're wondering if there's a way to solve the problem. More specifically, what you want to do here is restate the two concerns that you put a lot of effort and energy into getting on the table in the first two ingredients of plan B. I wonder if there's a way, starts the invitation. Let me use the example. I wonder if there's a way for us to help you let other kids know you're mad or sad. That was the kid's concern. In a way that doesn't hurt their feelings. That was the adult's concern. Now, one way in which the invitation can go awry is that sometimes adults at this point start to deviate from the concerns that were actually uncovered in the first two steps. They start to make assumptions. They start to get creative with what the kid or they actually said. They they sometimes summarize in ways that are so vague as to lose the specifics of the concerns of both parties. So you want to stick as closely as possible to the information that was uncovered in the first two ingredients of Plan B. The kid's concern 
not once again, not what we thought his concern was going in, that we gathered information on in the empathy step and learned that his concern wasn't exactly what we thought it was. That happens frequently. And then our concern, usually, how the behavior is affecting the kid and or how the behavior is affecting others. I wonder if there's a way for us to help you let other kids know that you're mad or sad, but in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings. And then, as always, you're giving the kid the first crack at the solution. This is another, usually by saying, do you have any ideas, this is another way in which the invitation often goes awry because people hear me say that. They say, give the kid the first crack at generating the solution, and they think, okay, so you mean it's the kid's job to think of solutions. It is not the kid's job to think of solutions. Uh, thinking of solutions is a team effort. It's y'all's job. Resolution of the problem is a team effort. It's a collaborative effort. It's collaborative problem-solving. It's just good strategy to give the kid the first crack at the solution because it lets him know beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, you're interested in his ideas. Along these lines, an important mantra in the invitation, in the brainstorming ingredient, is don't be a genius. Many adults enter Plan B thinking they already know what the solution to the problem is. This based on virtually no information this based on no understanding whatsoever of the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem that this Plan B is about. And so adults often steer the ship, as I've come to call it, toward the solution that they originated before they had enough information to actually be originating solutions in the first place. So you don't want to be a genius. You don't know where this boat is docking. Um, the invitation ingredient, the brainstorming ingredient, is steered exclusively by the currents of the concerns of both parties, not by some preordained notion of the destination of the boat before it even leaves port. So what did this uh, kid say were potential solutions. He said, well, I could make a face at them. I said, what would your face look like? He made a mad face. I said, what if they didn't see your face? What could you do? I could tell them I'm mad. What would that sound like? I'm really mad. Okay. What if that didn't get the job done? I could tell somebody, an adult. Now, the next part of the invitation is to think about whether the solution is truly realistic and mutually satisfactory. Realistic meaning, can the kid do what he's agreed to do? And by the way, it doesn't matter if it was the kid who came up with those solutions. Those are the types of solutions that adults might come up with, too. Nobody gets any points for being the person who comes up with the solution in the invitation. This is collaborative problem solving. You're going to get points. The team gets the points. Y'all are a team. You and the kid trying to solve a problem together. 
but you're not done yet. A lot of times, and this is interesting, a lot of times um, people run with the first solution that the kid puts on the table because they're so ecstatic that a kid put the solution on the table. Uh, I heard recently a story of someone running with a completely unrealistic and not mutually satisfactory solution just because the kid was so enthusiastic about his solution. He loved his solution. It was completely unrealistic and not mutually satisfactory, but he loved it. But that just gives the kid and his adult caregivers experience in solutions that don't stand the test of time and don't work. And um, I think I'd rather us keep talking. Rather than have them run with a solution that's doomed and have them tell us the next time we see them that it didn't work and this collaborative problem-solving stuff doesn't work, um, let's keep talking. Let's think about whether the solution is truly realistic and mutually satisfactory. Um, I like that better. Let's not leave plan B just yet. Let's keep going. Uh, can we both do what we've agreed to do? Are we both capable of doing what we've agreed to do, each, both of us as our part of the solution? And does the solution truly address the concerns of both parties? I think it's fantastic if people are enthusiastic about the solution, but we really do need to give conscious thought to, is it going to get the job done? We don't want to run with a solution that's not. That's just That'll just make us feel bad that the solution is not going to work. Even the best conceived solutions often aren't as realistic and mutually satisfactory as we thought they were. So another key point, every plan B ends with an agreement to return to plan B if the first solution doesn't pan out. And if you've done plan B before, then you know that there's a decent chance that the first solution isn't going to pan out. It's not going to stand the test of time, usually because it wasn't as realistic as we first thought it was. That's no crime, just good to think about ahead of time. And it didn't really address the concerns of both parties. Somebody's concern wasn't as well addressed by that solution as we thought. But let's think about it before we run with the solution. I like that timing better. Another reason that solutions don't stand the test of time is because sometimes, you know, let's say this is our first plan B on the calling other kids' names problem, unsolved problem. And we thought we got we, we thought we did a great job of fleshing out the kids' concern, and we thought we did a great job of fleshing out the adults' concerns, but we find that the solution isn't working. Sometimes, that's not because it was unrealistic, not because it wasn't mutually satisfactory, but because there are other concerns that weren't uncovered in our initial stab at um, the empathy step and the to find the problem step. We, we got as far as we could. We, we got as much information as we could, but there were still concerns, un-uncovered concerns, concerns that haven't yet been uncovered, that are starting to make it so that the solution we agreed upon isn't working as well as we thought 
it would. Back to plan B. Back to plan B to figure all that out. And what does that sound like? Uh, proactively, I've noticed that that solution we agreed to when we were talking about the calling other kids' names problem, it worked for a little while, but doesn't seem to be working anymore. What's up? Now you're trying to see if there are other concerns that may not have been uncovered in our first attempt at Plan B. One of the questions somebody asked me recently is, what should I be thinking during each of the three steps? And what you're thinking during the invitation is, have I summarized both concerns accurately based on the information that I gathered in that first ingredient of Plan B? Have I done a good job of summarizing? Have we truly considered whether both parties can can do what they've agreed to do? Is are the solution is the solution we're about to run with truly realistically, or is it realistic, or is the solution under consideration truly realistic? And now, maybe the most important question: Does the solution truly address the concerns of both parties? So we really have to think about the solution and the degree to which it would address both parties' concerns. Let's, let's do that thinking process now. Let's say we ran with, okay, so you could tell them that you're mad or sad, and if that didn't work, you could come tell me. Let's think about whether that's mutually satisfactory. I think we're actually going to get hung up on the realistic part, to tell you the truth, but let's, let's go with mutually satisfactory first. So would telling them that you're mad or sad address your concern that you wanted to let them know that you were mad or sad? Yes. And would telling them address my concern, this is the adult talking here, that I didn't want you calling them stupid because it could hurt their feelings? Yes. Sounds like it's mutually satisfactory. We've pass through one of the litmus tests for a good solution. Both concerns have been addressed. Realistic. If somebody were to step on your toe or kick you, do you think you'd be able to not call them stupid? I could try. I wonder why that might be hard for you because I'd already be mad. So if they kicked you, you'd be mad already, and then it would be hard not to say stupid. Yeah. Now we're still brainstorming, because it sounds like the solution, which I believe actually is a good one, is going to need just a little bit of fine-tuning, maybe in the form of reminding before we go into situations that are at high risk for foot stomping or kicking. A reminder from the classroom teacher. Um, reminder of what the plan is. Um, maybe trying to stay away from high-frequency stompers or kickers.
this is a skill, not calling kids stupid when they've stomped on your foot or kicked you, that's going to develop over time. So we can plan in advance for why it's going to be hard and what we could do about it, but ultimately it's going to require some practice. Collaborative problem solving isn't magic. It teaches kids skills that they were lacking that set the stage for their challenging behavior in the first place. But those skills don't get taught overnight. And problems that have been in place for a long time don't get solved overnight. People often become pessimistic about collaborative problem solving when collaborative problem solving doesn't uh, solve a problem immediately. Luckily, we're going to have time to return to the unsolved problem if the first solution doesn't pan out because um, we've got those 15 minutes of problem-solving time every day. Cool. Uh, one of our listeners has emailed an important thought. The teacher meets with each student about unsolved problems because everyone in the class has a problem that needs to be worked on and then the particularly challenging student won't stick out like a sore thumb. This is normal. You're not in trouble when you're participating in problem-solving time with the teacher. Everybody sometimes participates in problem-solving time with the teacher because everybody has problems that need to be solved. Solving problems is part of the ongoing stream of the classroom. And that's when kids start to feel comfortable approaching the teacher and saying, um, can I get you during problem-solving time sometime soon? There's a problem I'd like to talk with you about. Now, you may choose to start with your high-priority kids, the kids who maybe are disruptive. But if you start in September or August, if that's when school starts for you, um, not only will you make a significant amount of headway on the challenging ones in your 15 minutes of problem-solving time every day, you'll also have time for the rest of the kids who, who you may feel like you've been neglecting because you've been putting so much time into the challenging ones. Every kid in the class has a has something they could be working on. Even the best academically, the most pleasant, you know, the ones that some people would call a pleasure, the kids that people love to have in their classrooms. they got something they could be working on, too. And when we're doing 15 minutes of problem-solving time a day, we've got time for that. So there's your invitation step. And so what are some of the things that go wrong in the invitation step? Let me, let me uh, summarize. Um, you don't want to go vague in the invitation. You put a lot of hard work into getting the kids' concern on the table in that empathy step. 
maybe more than 15 minutes, maybe over more than one day, but you finally feel like you understand. You know, I always get a kick out of watching people, watching the empathy step. Because one of the things that happens when people are watching the empathy step with a kid who they may have been characterizing in any of a variety of ways, um, manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated, limit-testing, non-compliant, those things um, get can sometimes take a life of their own on, but you... Um, when you hear a kid talking about why he's, for example, calling other kids' names, when you hear what he has to say, when you see the look on his face, when you hear a little bit about his life, one of the things that's almost inescapable is people start empathizing with him. As we understand better what's getting in a kid's way we empathize we understand have we solved the problem yet not yet so have we achieved have we reached the holy grail of plan b as it relates to our definition of working when people say is plan b working yet talked about this a little bit before plan b is definitely working if you've solved a problem durably that's the holy grail of working. But plan B is working if the kid stays in the room with you. Plan B is working if he participates in plan B. Plan B is working if you actually start to gather some information from the kid about an unsolved problem that has been setting in motion challenging behavior since September or for many Septembers before this one. And it's working if, as a kid is telling us his concerns, and we're doing a good job of drilling for information, and we are starting to understand what's getting in his way well. It's working if we're starting to understand And it's working if we are starting to empathize because we are starting to understand. Of course, we're also beginning to understand that maybe some of the terminology we've been using to describe the kid, spoiled, entitled, any of the other words that I used previously that are often used to quote-unquote explain challenging kids but really don't explain anything at all. Now we're starting to see that this kid's challenging behavior is set in motion by lagging skills and demands for those skills. We're starting to see that the kid has legitimate concerns that hadn't been uncovered until now. Challenging kids deserve our empathy. They have legitimate concerns. And they especially deserve our empathy because those legitimate concerns have gone neglected and undiscovered for such a long time. And they 
and their classmates and we have been paying the price for that for a very long time. I love the looks on people's faces as they are watching kids, often in video, telling us what their concerns are. It's that look of empathy, that look of discovery. Wow, I didn't think I was going to hear that come out of him. Wow, that's a lot different than what I thought was going on with this kid. Wow, now there's something we could work on. How do you work on noncompliance? Too vague. I don't know what we're working on. How do you work on limit testing? Well, I know how we work on limit testing. I just find that it doesn't work very well. Same thing for manipulative. Same thing for attention-seeking. Same thing for unmotivated. Those interventions look very much the same. Uncovering a kid's concerns, now that's priceless. And if we're taking 15 minutes a day, we've got time to do it proactively. And then when we get to the invitation, when it's time to start brainstorming, we know what it is we're brainstorming about. Another pattern to be avoided in the invitation, oversteering the ship toward preordained solutions. Now you know why that's doomed. Um, but many adults um, have trouble uh, holding back on solutions they're absolutely certain will work before they understand what's really getting in a kid's way. That, that, that'll get in the way. Sometimes adults put those solutions into consideration way before the brainstorming phase of Plan B. They, they, they stick it in there, sometimes in the empathy step. If, if, even if they've done a good job of empathizing, they've stuck their solution into the define the problem step, which means that the problem hasn't really been defined because we're already talking about solutions. The third pattern to be avoided is agreeing to solutions that aren't realistic and mutually satisfactory in the first place. not realistic we're still talking and if the solution doesn't make sense with regard to the degree to which it would truly address the concerns of both parties and that's something that really has to be thought about before we sign off on a solution then we're still talking and of course fatal to plan B no matter what ingredient we're in is rushing If we don't set aside the time to do Plan B in a planned way, proactive Plan B, if this doesn't become part of our daily routine, then the likelihood of rushing is greatly heightened. And now we've greatly heightened the likelihood that we won't really uncover the kid's concern in the empathy step. We won't be specific enough about our concern and the define the problem step and Vague concerns, as I always say, lead to vague solutions, and vague solutions don't work very well. I'd rather take aim. I'd rather know specifically what the unsolved problem is 
specifically what the kid's concern about that unsolved problem is and specifically what our concern is, and we want to take our time. Once again, Plan B saves time. No matter where I am, no matter what school I'm in, I'm constantly pointing out to people, and I never get tired of doing this. It's just that we're often caught up in the moment, so this is an easy thing to lose track of. Plan B saves time. Look at all the time we're putting into that unsolved problem with nothing to show for it because we haven't put the time in to truly understand the kid's concern or perspective. We haven't, we've been doing emergency plan B instead of proactive plan B, which means we are doing it in the heat of the moment under significant time pressure. Mm. 15 minutes a day, problem-solving time. We were so rushed that we didn't really give consideration to the range of solutions that were potential solutions to this unsolved problem that would address both concerns and that both parties could actually do what they were agreeing to. We were rushing. The solution we came up with was rushed. And now we may be getting discouraged, but even if we're not discouraged, now we've got to go back to plan B, possibly unnecessarily, maybe if we'd taken our time and really fleshed things out satisfactorily, who knows, we might have come up with a solution that did stand the test of time. Well, there you have it. We have covered the invitation step. We can't say that it is much neglected anymore. We can still say that it's really important, but we can't say that it's much neglected because we've now talked about it. And as you may be noticing, um, the reason the collaborative problem-solving approach continues to evolve is that as I see the difficulties people are having within each ingredient, as I see what people are struggling with, as I see what words they're lacking, uh, I give the matter some thought and try to give people the words and try to provide content that helps them with what they're struggling with. A lot of people rush through the empathy step, but a lot of people rush through the invitation too. It's a very common pattern to see people just run with the first solution that gets put on the table either because the kid put it on there or because they didn't realize that they really had to give the solution some thought. Each solution that proposed some thought about whether it's truly realistic, truly mutually satisfactory. And by the way, if you find yourself in the invitation, it's the last point, and then we've got to stop for today. If you find yourself in the invitation and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not sure how I would word this because I... I'm starting to discover here that I don't understand this kid's concern or perspective as well as I feel like I ought to, or I don't think I've been very clear about my concern or perspective in the define the problem step. Go back. Go back. Uh, if you feel like you're in the middle of the invitation, and this is the great litmus test of whether you truly do understand the kid's concern or perspective and whether you've been clear about yours, if you're in the invitation and you're discovering that you're having trouble wording it, not because it's 
hard to word because the invitation sometimes is hard to word, but because you're not clear about the kid's concern or perspective and you don't feel like you've been clear about yours, one or the other, go back to the ingredient that would help you clarify it further. All right, I do hope that this has been helpful for you today. Um, And I look forward to uh, doing this again next week. Helping challenging kids is a very high priority. 15 minutes a day, solving problems. Talk to you next week.